I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to this Friday night's edition of Signals from Mars podcast. Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Tax podcast. Excuse me. And I apologize for the crappy sounding music tonight. They just updated the system. They promised all these great things in the newsletter, but that sounded like crap. So anyway, joining me is my good friend here, Andrew Bansall from Metal Assault. How are you, sir? I am good, Victor. How are you doing? Um, thanks for having me, first of all. Yeah, I'm I'm doing great. You know, Andrew and I have, you know, chatted over the years. I've had you on the podcast before. Uh, but looking back in our chat history, we hadn't actually talked in like four years. And outside of that, um, I mean, we we've never like done this we've never done like a webcam thing you know we've yeah. never really interacted with, with each other in this fashion yeah. so yeah i don't think we've done a video before but times are different now like this yeah. is this is this is in right now this is what everybody's doing so you know i mean it makes right. sense yeah and it's also cool because it adds like another layer to being able to talk to people where you've you know you've got their attention I mean, I've talked to, I don't know how many people over the years where, you know, you're like, oh man, they're eating while they're talking to you or they're like fumbling with other stuff. And at least when you've got them on the camera, they're, you know, they they have to give you their attention and you're getting real reactions out of them and vice versa. You know, they, they know if you're bullshitting them as well. So I think it's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, I wish I had the video thing for every interview that I did in the past. Who knows what might have been uncovered there, you know? <laughs> right. Well, it's funny. I always tell this story. I was um, interviewing uh, Blitz from Overkill for the first time. And I remember he calls me up and he says, um, you know, don't mind me. I'm working on my house. You know, I'm trying <laughs> to fix my chimney. And I'm listening back while I'm editing the interview. I'm like, what the hell's that noise in the background? <laughs> and like, I isolate everything and I'm like, holy shit. He's spackling his, his chimney while he's talking to me. Like you could hear him like running the spackle up and down the, the bricks on the, on the chimney, like literally fixing the chimney while he was talking to me. And I tell him that story the next time that, um, that I talked to him. And he was laughing his ass off. He goes, yeah, I remember. He goes, I was told I had a boatload of interviews that day. And I, he goes, you know, I told the label, I got to do shit at the same time. So, you know, had the hands free going and he was, um, was working on his chimney. That, that was the first. Um, yeah, that's funny. I remember. Yeah. There's a few, I'm sure I did like that. I think there's one with Eric Peterson from Testament where I could hear him eating while like he was kind of, <laughs> Between like, you know, when I was asking the question, he was eating. So, right. And he told me, though, he was like, yeah, I'm just trying to get through some food while, uh, while I have a chance. I'm like, sure, whatever it takes, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah. want to say hello to, to everyone in the chat so far. Jeremy in the UK, Pete in uh, New Jersey, 
We have uh, Rob, who I believe is in North Carolina. Uh, awesome. Some of the diehards already in the chat here. Uh, Jeremy yeah. already posted up on Twitter. Jer- Jeremy's great. Whenever I tell him that someone's coming on, he searches that person out or what they do and promotes them. Right. So they, yeah, he <laughs> he um, he posted something from uh, Old Blood actually. Uh, oh wow! On yeah. Twitter. So. Uh, awesome. Thank you, Jeremy, for helping promote my show as always and helping promote the guests that we have as well. Um, I did want to mention real quick. I I said Missouri, not not North Carolina. Oh, Missouri. Okay, my bad. I don't know why I thought he was in North Carolina. All right. I I apologize, sir. It's like (laughs) way off, you know. Um, But anyway, I I did want to tell one more Blitz story because I did get him to crack up the one time that i did get to meet him they were playing here in spain and um they were playing on um kill fest was the name of the tour that they were doing so he told me you know at the end of the night just hang out let let the stage guy know that you're here and i'll come out you know after after i'm ready and whatnot and i said to him i said you know you were smart you didn't try to talk to the audience in spanish i said i noticed that the singer of uh, Savage Messiah did and he kind of pulled it off and the singer of Savage Messiah told me that he had a girlfriend from Spain for a long time so he kind of knew you know how to get around and um, and I told uh, Blitz that I had seen Anthrax and this is when they got back together again with the classic lineup with Belladonna and with Dan Spitz and everything and they were playing at this club and Scott Eaton. I think was I've trying- heard this one from you before, but go ahead, go ahead. Okay. okay. So <laughs> Scott, Scott Ian was trying to, you know, fit in. He started saying, you know, all these different things in Spanish. And he says, um, me gusta polla, which instead of pollo in Spanish, <laughs> pollo is chicken, but polla in Spain is dick is cock, is male member, however you want to say it. And, and like the whole crowd went silent all of a sudden. It was like, okay, well, that's cool, but nobody kind of expected it. Um, and I told Blitz this story, and he just blew up laughing. He said, this is why I don't speak in any foreign language when I'm in a country. I stick to English just in case. And he went on to say that his mother-in-law is Dutch, and he was trying to learn Dutch, and he said something to her once. He was trying to say that um, the strawberries were delicious, and he told me that what he ended up saying was, your ass is really nice to his mother-in-law. So uh, he said everyone blew up laughing, and he was like, well, what did I say? And his wife kind of explained it. So he was like, all right, I'm never trying it again. I'm just going to stick to English because I'm good at it. So Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so... Um, Metal Assault is your page. It's been your page for a very long time. You, yeah, yeah, it's been a little over eleven years now. Twenty ten, February twenty ten was when I started Metal Assault. Yeah. Oh wow! So so we're right there. We're a little bit past it. Um, Yeah. What What made you start Metal Assault? I mean, obviously, you came over to California, and was there one thing that you saw that you felt that you needed to do metal assault to fit a need for you to fit a need for the scene. What, what exactly got you started? 
Yeah, that's a good question to start with. So basically, before the Metal Assault website was launched, I was writing for this other website, which um, their owner and editor are based out of Las Vegas. The website is called Full Metal Rock. So they were the ones who first gave me a chance to to write reviews for them and to do interviews for them and stuff like that. And that came from just the fact that um, I was in a habit of documenting all the shows that I went to. And back then, this was happening on various types of forums. This was way before um, the, the uh, website, uh, or even on their website. So this was... Mm-hmm stuff that I was doing on my MySpace blog and things like that. So yeah. they they read that, some of that stuff, and they wanted to bring me on board. So I wrote for them for about, about four or five months, uh, like fall 2009. And what happened was I was just like doing so much of their content already that I felt that out of respect to them, I should start my own thing because I didn't want everybody else on their site to kind of feel you know, like to give me dirty looks, so to speak, or to, to mm-hmm. kind of dominate the whole thing, uh, coming in as the new guy. So I thought better that I should start my own thing. And a couple of my other friends who were also, who I brought on board to Full Metal Rock, they also suggested that as well, that, you know, like we should kind of like break away from this and start, and you should start your own thing and then we'll write for you kind of thing. So that's how it started. So I was just in a habit of documenting all the shows that I went to from like, from way before the Metal Assault website started. So it was Mm -hmm. just about, uh, just a matter of time really. So it happened and then obviously everything kind of was focused on, on, you know, content to be posted on, on that website. Right. Now, yeah. when you say that you documented it, did you only document it on MySpace? Do you have notebooks where you wrote stuff down? How, how did you do that? No, yeah, mainly just um, any like type of forums or black blogging platforms that existed. Okay. So there was the MySpace blog that that was my account, and then I was also fan like on the Iron Maiden fan club back then, Megadeth mm-hmm. fan club, Metallica fan club, then the Iron Maidens the female tribute band, they had their own like forum. So I was on there as well. Um, and yeah, so basically, and, and there was also this, um, this forum called metal set lists where people would go and post their set list from the show they attended. Right. So that okay. usually came with like a little short review of the show as well. Not just like just a set list, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, those were the, like the platforms back then, man. I mean, thinking back to it, it seems kind of seems funny now that, that's that's what the world we were in, but that that stuff doesn't really exist anymore. When he, yeah. when he talked about, there's no such thing as a forum. Like it's all social media now, you know. So it's a much right. much different world. But yeah, that's kind of how I was doing it back then. But yeah, it was just basically like my own reviews of like the shows in a couple of paragraphs or sometimes more depending on how what the show was and a couple of like point and shoot camera photos <laughs> because mm-hmm. there was no cell phone cameras right. either so, yeah you know it was kind of very different yeah that, that's funny i i started podcasting i think like a year before i started in june of 2009 was when i started my first podcast and a little bit after that, within within like the first year had to be, um, I interviewed James J. LaRue when he first came out of White Wizard. Right. And that's when 
Andrew Bansaw came up and he, oh, yeah. he said, you need to talk to this guy. He goes, I can't pronounce his real name. All of us call him Andrew. Um, <laughs> but um, he's kind of like you. He's really passionate about music. He likes talking about music. He likes promoting music. And it, it took me, I think it was maybe a few months later where we finally hooked up and we started talking and it's funny because I had you on for my classic album series. And when we would go in, we would always say, all right, we need to keep this short. And I have conversations of ours that are like three and a half hours long. Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, I remember that, that yeah, I mean, that totally comes out of just being fans and loving music and just having so much to say about, you yeah, know, it's, like, uh, it's like remotely hanging out together in a way, because yeah. that's what you would do if you were hanging out with a friend who was also into the music and then you would just like yeah. hang out and talk about it. So it's the, pretty much that, you know, that we did. Um, I think what, 2010, 2011, those are like the earlier, earlier years for me and mm -hmm. also for you, I guess. So, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, you know, things have completely evolved over time. Um, you know, Metal Assault is still around, which is very cool because how many sites have dropped by the wayside where people just, you know, lose interest or because of yeah. jobs just can't do it anymore. But you've still had the site going all of this time, uh, which is really a, you know, tribute to, to what you do, you know, because it's funny. I just went over like the 200 episode mark with the podcast and I was, you know, the person that was congratulating me had just done 900 and something episodes. And I was like, uh, you know, I feel like, like a bum compared to you because, you know, you've, you know, you were consistent. And he said, well, considering that only that the average is five shows and then people give up, he goes, 200 is a big deal. So yeah. to me, having metal assault around all this time is a similar deal where, you know, so many, so many different people have come and gone. So many people that we've all come in contact, you know, think things have changed. Why have you been able to keep that passion, that fire going with metal assault and continuously just bring people content? Yeah. Um, thanks for saying that. I think, uh, like you said, I mean, I think the bottom line of that is just the passion that I've always carried. And the fact that I come from a very different background, I think that is probably the biggest difference from as compared to other people, maybe, because I come from a country where I never even imagined that I would ever get to see any any like any of these bands that I was listening to like right. in 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 and you know on an actual stage even even a band like Iron Maiden who I used to kind of like well I mean they're still my all-time favorite band but like back then especially I was like really religiously listening to them um but I never thought I would ever get to see them and mm -hmm. then it happened uh so I think probably that's the main reason why like my passion probably burns stronger than uh, many, many other people who try to do this because I've never been jaded about it. I'm, I'm still not, you know, I mean, I, I know that there's all, all kinds of people saying now with like us uh, as, as, as an entire planet, having gone through a period of no shows happening, people are saying that how much they've missed it, but 
like I never let it come to that. Like I was always mm-hmm. appreciating every show that I went to, like leading right up to like the pandemic. So yes, I right. mean, I miss it even more than most other people say that they miss concerts. I mean, you know, people who probably even only went to the occasional show anyway. Right. So yeah, like, I mean, I've seen it quite a lot in, in my local circle and whether it's like the U.S. as a whole or just in general with the heavy metal sort of scene anywhere in the world, like where people do get jaded and then they're like a show to them is not really that special or that they're not that interested or that enthusiastic about it. But to me, that's never it's never come to that point. And I mean, if it ever does, then I probably will stop doing it because why Mm -hmm. else am I doing it anyway? I mean, I'm not like getting rich off of this or or anything like that. So, you know, it's for the passion is is that's like the sole reason to continue doing it. Uh, So probably that's why I I've been able to stick at stick to it and um, keep it keep it going all these years, you know, Uh, although I've definitely had to like transition into different uh, departments or different branches of, of the entire mm-hmm. over the years. So that's, that's been important. Otherwise it might have not been sustainable in the long run, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you bring up a good point. A lot of people talk about how, you know, South America is such a big deal when it comes to a lot of hard rock and metal bands. Um, with you know if people have seen flight 666 they've seen you know what it was like for maiden to go to india and to go to other parts of the world and um people i think probably you know you're in la so people take that more for granted because they're theoretically shows all the time whereas you know people say well look at how you know rabid the fans in brazil are or in argentina or in you know india or australia or japan right but the difference is they're maybe getting to see a band once every five years that's maybe playing la maybe several times a year yeah you know so it's it's a bigger deal. And of course, they can play larger stadiums as a result, because, you know, I've I've seen it with bands here in Spain where they'll be playing a, a soccer stadium. And in the States, they're playing, you know, maybe to at the max, like a few thousand people because they're only coming here once every so many years. Yeah. And, you know, they've built up they've built up to, to have plenty of people want to go see them. So it's, it's definitely completely different. You know, you have the, uh, the, the LA or New York crowd that's used to having shows continuously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely, uh, you know, uh, something to consider there. Um, you've mentioned changes that have happened over the years. You've started promoting shows as well over time um obviously with the pandemic all of that had to come to a to a screeching halt yeah but before all of this how was getting into promoting shows going you know were there any things that really surprised you when you started doing it on yourself as opposed to seeing it from the outside yeah that's a good question definitely uh, I think bottom line with with um, whether it's the music industry or any industry, I think the di- the more different perspectives you look at, you look at it, anything from the more knowledge you gain. So that's what 
I've, I think has, has has helped me along the way in getting more knowledgeable and more experienced with what goes on from different angles. So yeah, like the metal assault thing purely as a blog uh, where I was reviewing and interviewing and also like editing other people's um, content uh, or taking photos or that type of thing. So that I was from 2010 to 14 was like, that was the only thing I did. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I started touring with bands uh, all over the U.S. I did quite right. a few tours. So that opened my eyes uh, into kind of how a band, you know, handles themselves on tour or what it takes for a band to succeed or fail uh, mm-hmm. as a touring band. And then, um, so I did quite a lot of that for from 2014. 14 to about 16 end of 16 and i i was basically doing so much touring that that had to end it had come to a point where i had to reestablish a home base again in la you know because i was hardly ever in la uh, during those years so that that's when i started like going into the show promotions which actually it started out kind of just by chance, because I saw a post on the Viper Room's Facebook, the Viper Room in West Hollywood. They right. said they were looking for people to book shows. Um, well, not like on a full time, like on their staff, but like they wanted to work with people on the outside who could uh, right. come in as the promoter. And that was perfect for me because I want to keep using my brand, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with anything I do. So I, I went in there for a meeting and they, they already kind of knew me because I was, I had att- attended literally every show there, uh, every, like at least the hard rock or heavy metal stuff. Right. So, um, so yeah, so that helped me when I started talking to venues about possibly promoting because they already knew me. It wasn't like a random person, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I started out with the Viper Room where I started booking shows and then just be picked up pretty fast from there. So this was early 2017 when I started promoting shows and yeah from there from then to about yeah right up to the pandemic that's pretty much again so that's all i did so it's been like the three different phases from the start of metal assault um yeah it was going pretty well like overall i mean there's obviously good and bad shows and uh, Mm -hmm. experiences that are positive and negative Uh, to answer your question uh, about if anything surprised me yeah definitely i mean uh, there was a lot of things I learned from the other from from the promoter side about like how shows happen and what it takes, which I definitely never noticed before. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, what kind of like what are the expenses that that go into putting on a show and uh, right. how much the bands get paid or how much they should get paid, how much the venue um, charges or in in a lot of cases rips you off or rips off the bands or just simply doesn't care if if anybody makes money aside from them Mm -hmm. um and then things like how how much on an average night do people drink or you know like uh, how much the bar tab runs up to uh at any given venue or how many what days of the night um draw well which that was um very pleasantly surprising because I did a lot of shows on the weeknights too, like not just the weekends and mm-hmm. those did well depending on um, what the lineup was. So I learned quickly that if the lineup is good and if your promotion is good, then you can do sh- at least in LA, well, you could do shows any night of the week and mm-hmm. do a good show, you know, it right. doesn't have to be all on the weekends. And actually 
it's sometimes a bad thing if it's on a weekend because then you're competing against like so many other uh, shows happening. So right, right, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. So yeah, a lot of things um, like that came into um, like you know uh, came into my um, learn like kind of I started learning as I did more of those shows and um, yeah, like I guess on an average I've booked over a hundred shows a year since 2017. Oh, wow. I'm at 273 um, <laughs> completed shows. And I also canceled like about four months worth of shows from yeah. March to July of 2020, unfortunately, which was uh, uh, something we had to do, obviously, for, for the, you know, because everything was closing down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I've been pretty prolific as a promoter as well, uh, as I was with tours and with like the Metal Assault content. Um, but yeah, like since, so with the pandemic, again, there was a necessity for me to like branch out and do something more or do anything at all to ke- to keep this going. Otherwise it was on the verge of like, uh, you know, getting shut down forever, really. So I started, started, uh, focusing more on the label side, which I had already started the label in 2018, but it was kind of only going to be as an occasional thing where I was out release something. And uh, basically it was like going to be just like a tie in with the promotions because Mm -hmm. any bands on my label, if I release something, then I could book a release show for them and a couple of Mm -hmm. other shows here and there. So that type of thing. But then the label has been the main focus since the pandemic hit. And yeah, like, so that's, that's the main activity right now, but definitely we'll get back to booking shows as soon as I can, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about the the label in a second. I wanted to do yeah. ask you one last question about promoting. Yeah. Um, I know I said a lot of stuff there. Hope. No, no, no. Um, I, I wanted to ask you how much did going out and touring with bands do you feel helped you as a promoter in knowing how to, you know, um, deal with bands and know how to deal with the clubs and all that? Did going out on tour with bands help you at all, or did yeah. you have to kind of relearn everything? No, I definitely did in in many ways um, because, well, on a lot of those tours, like I was like the only crew guy. So I would be like the one all in one, like, you know, I would be the merch guy. I would be the tour manager. So then I would be the one talking to all the promoters to get the info from them as to like, what time do we get there? What time do we load in? Uh, where do we set up the merch? Um, and like at the end of the night, get you know, do the difficult part of trying to get paid <laughs> to have that conversation. Yeah. So basically I already kind of expected what, what to, you know, what uh, I would need to do as a promoter. So it helped me big time for sure in that sense. So basically only the only difference was the roles were reversed when I started promoting because then I was a promoter and they were the ones who were asking me all these same questions, which I'd already like asked a million times myself. So <laughs> yeah, I, there was no surprises there for me. Um, and yeah, in a, in a lot of cases, I guess people don't really do their research or are too lazy to do their research on who they're working with. So maybe they didn't, they don't know in a lot of cases that I've already been um, through all this and I'm very experienced when it comes to this mm-hmm. stuff. So sometimes people try to talk to me as if like, I don't, you know, I don't, that this is the first time I'm hearing this. And then I have to tell them right. like, no, that's not, not the case. So, you know, um, you're, I try to make people feel they're in good hands. I mean, that's all I can do. And 
people who um, who like the shows, then they come back. And if they don't, then they don't. I mean, I have so many, so many bands that I could work with, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ha- have there been people that have tried to pull like a fast one on you thinking that you didn't know, you know, your way around things where you've had to kind of slow them down or have you not run into anything like that? Yeah. I mean, there's been, yeah, there's been uh, situations like that where, you know, um, people are like, maybe they didn't realize that I kind of, that I was one up on them in that sense, you know, like whether it's uh, <laughs> like canceling a show or showing up like super late and then still expecting to kind of play at their designated set time or mm-hmm. um, yeah, that type of thing. Yeah. Those things have definitely happened. I mean, if, if you've done 273 shows, you're bound to run into yeah. some stuff like here and there. So I think uh, anybody who would have done the same number of shows would kind of attest to that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's been, and there's been instances like that and there's, there's a blacklist for a reason. So I, I have one too, you know? Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's some bands that I don't work with anymore and uh, some that I love to work with. So that's just how it goes. It's, I, I would just say that it's definitely not for like um, the, what do you say? Well, you definitely need a thick skin to be able to right. do that for any length of time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you find it easier to work with established bands or newer bands or does that not even come into account? Is it just completely different on a band per band scenario? You're talking about as a promoter? Yes. Uh, yeah. Our- uh, are newer bands or, or, or veteran bands more of a pain in the ass, essentially? <laughs> yeah, there's two different extremes to that. That's a good question. So there's there's the extreme case where it's an established band who's being a major pain in the ass. And then there's the other extreme, which is the really new band who doesn't have a clue about anything. So <laughs> I've dealt with both of those. But the best is like the somewhere in the middle where, sure. you know, they're like, they they know what they're doing, but they're not like super egotistical about it. And they kind of are more on, on like their feet are on the earth and they're, you know, like yeah. level headed because yeah, there's, there's definitely bands that kind of let it get to their head. I don't know. Um, uh, I guess that's just, it just comes with the territory, I guess. If you can play an instrument really well, then yeah. You know, like you, you should definitely get a little bit of an ego about it. So sure. Um, that some sometimes come, comes across a little bit too much uh, from some people, and with some people, they know how to kind of how to address uh, or how to address other people and how to, you know, how to behave and that kind of thing. So yeah, it definitely definitely happens. Uh, but yeah, like I, I would, I guess if I had to pick, I would rather deal with the really new band as opposed to like the really egotistical one. You know, at okay. least the new band, I can I can guide them along and be like, okay no worries. I'm, I'm here, you know, like I'll, sure. I'll get you through it, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And I have to ask, you said you've been to so many shows at the Viper room. I've only ever seen one show in LA and it was at the Viper room uh-huh. and it was part of the sunset strip uh, festival. Oh, the, the, music fest, the long gone sunset strip music festival. Yeah. Uh, which year was that? Uh, it was the year that Ozzy headlined. And oh, I was there for that. Now that was the first one, 2009. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, 2009. Duh, I was there on my honeymoon, um, and I saw Ace Frehley play in the Viper Room. So uh, you got into that. I, I see. I interviewed him there, which okay. was earlier in the afternoon where he was doing the media thing. 
but I guess like I didn't really, I wasn't really cool enough back then to get in and <laughs> I didn't really want to pay how many, how much ever it was to pay or whatever, you know? So I got tickets yeah. for 10 bucks. Um, <laughs> I, I saw a tweet where it said, uh, Viper room presents Ace Freely on this date in September. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm going to be in LA in September. Uh, you got the early bird then. Yeah, so I uh, so I remember my wife coming back home. I said, uh, "We're seeing Ace Freely on our honeymoon." Um, so she was she was cool with that, and it was a a cool experience because we were literally like three feet away from Slash and George Lopez. Yeah, um, and Slash got up while well, George Lopez introed him, and then Slash got up and did um, uh, Colgin, I believe, with him, if I remember correctly, and then afterwards Billy Morrison was DJing and uh, we stayed around for that for a little. And then we, we split, but uh, it was cool. It was a really neat experience because that room is so small. I mean, how many yeah. people fit in the Viper room? The capacity, official capacity is 250, but that's including both floors. So if you take out the basement area, because I mean, obviously when there's a band playing, nobody's going to hang out in the yeah. basement, right? So the, the upstairs is like 175 Okay. Like max um, of of audience capacity. Well, the, it doesn't include the staff and the ba- the yeah. band members and stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty small, but that that's what makes makes it extra cool. And the yeah. vibe is just amazing. I think you know. Um, I guess if that show had happened in like twenty seventeen or after, then I, they would have gotten me in for that for that. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, back then though, like I didn't know anyone who got into that mm-hmm. Ace Freely show. Like I had a like we had our group of media friends that I don't think anybody got in like, uh, but I guess uh, definitely it was still packed. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I remember that they were warning everyone coming in uh, that no pictures were to be taken. And and so I was like, all right, I'm not taking my camera in because, you know, back then I just had my first cell phone with a camera and I'm like, I'm not losing my cell phone on this trip. I paid so much for it. And people were taking pictures left and right. So I like snuck in a picture or two, but they're all like, you know, yeah. too dark and all like, uh, you know, all over the place. But um, yeah, that, that was a, a really cool experience before the show. We were waiting in line and um, we had Fieldy from corn coming down the street and he was being a jerk kind of, <laughs> you know, kind of living up to his reputation. Yeah. And then Monkey came after that, and he was the flip side because um, uh, Fieldy was like, oh, why would you guys, you know, wait in this line to see Ace Freely and all this stuff? And then Monkey came, Monkey came down the street with three women and two on one arm and one on the other. And he, they'd parked behind the Viper room and he was the opposite. He goes, uh, you guys are here to see Ace Freely? Oh, that show's going to kick ass. You know, you guys have a great time and and whatever. And, and he was signing stuff for people and he was, you know, talking to people as they were pulling out of the parking lot. So it was, it was kind of a, a pretty cool moment. It was the two extremes within the same band, but it was, uh, it was neat. Um, but um, yeah, I, w- I wanted to uh, talk about your, your label because obviously I yeah. posted a few weeks ago about, uh, one of your new releases and um, the label you told me that, or you just finished saying that with the pandemic, you kind of done a lot more work with that. Um, 
you talked about wanting to work with young bands more and and i've always been for promoting new music that's why i do a new releases post every friday i think it's important for people to know about new bands older bands that are putting out new stuff the one thing that i hate hearing people say is there's no good new music out there no there's always something good coming out you know it isn't in your face like it was back in the day but there's yeah. still good music there you know and, and a lot of times when people ask me you know i do a thing with um uh we have a, a listener that usually joins us in the chat but he's working today he runs a a site called yarg metal and um and he always asks me for you know a song from the band of the week and i always tend to pick either an obscure song or something off of a newer album just to prove a point that if you search for something good out without any type of uh, like um you know closed mindedness you're always going to find something good to listen to so yeah. um i've always seen you as a, as a purveyor of of music and of new bands and of cool stuff that maybe isn't featured other places. So what initially made you want to start up the label? Was it just to promote new bands? Was it to promote bands that didn't have a chance? You know, what, what what was your initial idea with that? Yeah. Well, I think the start of the label itself was just probably another kind of step along the natural course that I've been on. Um, it was just, I guess, another thing that was a matter of time, but uh, not something that I would have jumped into before I was ready for it. But mm-hmm. like when I started the label, I felt that, yeah, you know, now I'm ready. I have enough of a um, contact base and uh, I know enough bands. Yeah. So the bottom line again with, with, and that applies across like whether it's the show promotions or, or the content on the site over the years. I mean, it's to promote like previously undiscovered talent and give that a platform and um, kind of create create my own niche in that in that way with all the mm-hmm. bands on my label. So yeah, like I think even even with like bands that I reviewed or interviewed on Metal Assault um, back then, I think. In a lot of cases, I was kind of, I did it before the bigger sites picked them up. And I'm talking about bands that like got bigger and stuff like that. And, you know, whenever I saw that, I was like, you know, well, I interviewed them first. So I guess (laughs) that at least that makes me feel good. I don't know if that really matters to anybody or not. But to me, it definitely does. I think I take pride in that, you know, to to kind of discover something that was previously not really... Uh, known about or people didn't kind of pay attention to it as much as they should have so it's the same with the label i'm trying to really um bring up uh, bands from from the underground to the surface so to speak Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's been the general idea and like the other kind of overall theme that is definitely prevalent with with the everything that's on the label is that i try to um, cultivate like a very diverse roster where no right. two bands are sounding alike. So that's always the aim that's ongoing, even with the signings that are coming up yet to be announced and any future signings. It's like, I, I probably wouldn't sign another band that sounds exactly like something I've already signed because, 
you know, like that's kind of goes against my overall, overall approach. And also mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't want bands on my label to compete with each other, you know, for like, sure. <laughs> for the same sort of audience. So yeah, like, uh, and this way I also keep expanding the audience. If every band is stylistically somewhat different and mm-hmm. newer from what's already on the label, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So right now I have uh, 17 bands on the label. Okay. So, before the pandemic, I had two. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I figured that at least with the, the way things were going to turn out in the pandemic, like everything was just being sold online. So mm-hmm. what can I sell online is new music and new merch. So for that, I needed more bands to work with because mm-hmm. I couldn't cut it with just the two bands I had at the time. Sure. So. Uh, plus, obviously, like I couldn't force them to like just release new new stuff just so I could, you know, sell it on on the label. So, yeah, like that's that's what has led to a very busy phase for the label. And I think that's going to continue even when the pandemic is kind of completely over, because I think this one year has allowed me to, to establish a label like properly. Maybe mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been anywhere near this established if, if there was no pandemic. So in a way it worked out, I guess, you know, do you have like a, um, an, an exit plan out of the pandemic, you know, how you're going to divide your time up between label promoting shows and, and doing the site is, are you going to be able to do all of them? Are you going to, you know, split time equally, you know, have, have you been prepared for that? Um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been thinking about it. So like the label stuff, well, even these days, basically I do most of the work, so to speak, like in the daytime, just as any day mm-hmm. job, really. Um, and in the evenings, I'm kind of more like just relaxing and, you know, trying to not overwork. Uh, so when shows come back, I'll be at a show in the evening. Um, so I mm-hmm. think it would just mean that I would work double, <laughs> double time. Um, I don't think I will split time. I'll just work double time. You know, right. because that's just how I'm wired. Um, and in terms of the site, I mean, so the Metal Assault site um, is obviously not like as uh, prolific or anywhere near as prolific as, as it was when that was the only thing that I was doing. But but sure. it's still there. Um, and what I do with that now is like I have a couple of other people who contribute and I, I do the occasional article as well. But like my main activities are with the label and and again when the shows come back then also with the promotions and then like I'll be the editor in chief for this for the website but not mm-hmm. like the main contributor sure. so yeah that's that's probably like the way forward plus like um I I separated the metal salt website with the label website so I have yes. a new website metalsaltrecords.com which I I wanted to do for a while and I finally did it like recently, like last, as of last month, uh, a little over a month ago, mm-hmm. because I didn't want like the original website to just be all about the label because mm-hmm. it, it's obviously stood for something else for a long time. So I didn't want that to kind of just disappear completely, you know? So yeah, right. so there's like two different sites. Now the metalsalt.com is like the original site, which will like not feature the label stuff. It'll have links to it, but it won't like actively have the label like stuff that's on the label website now, you know? So, yeah. Right. So that's like the way forward and I'm sure I can handle it. You know, uh, I have no doubt. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. And you've also, I mean, you, you've announced uh, over the course of the last few months, some, some major signings in the sense that, uh, well, you're going to be putting out a, a King Gizzard live album this summer. And also you announced a few months back the signing of Betalica. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, that that's a cool mix as, as you're saying, you know, uh, n- with no two bands sounding alike, that's what labels used to do. You know, it wasn't yeah. that, you know, every label wasn't just one style of hard rock or metal. They tried to have different things. So you could actually package these bands together and there would be no issue with you boring people because every act was going to bring you something completely different. Um, what was it like to, to kind of bring Metallica back because they were kind of dormant for a little while there. Yeah, that was kind of something that happened on its own, really, because, um, well, in the same way that all the signings have really happened, I mean, at least as of up to this point, like the way I've signed bands is I've, I've allowed the bands to approach me and then depending on like what, how, if it's worth pursuing, then I pursue that, but I'm not like actively like reaching out to bands on my own because then like, there's no limit to that. I mean, I wouldn't really know like (laughs) where to start or where to end with that or how much ego I would have to deal with. I mean, I'm, I'm fine without that, you know? So the beat marketing happened in that way, in that manner too, where, so the backstory to that is, um, is actually that in 2010, which was the first year that Metal Assault had started out, uh, I was doing a ton of interviews. I was just trying to interview anyone that I could, even if I <laughs> sometimes didn't even like the band because I just wanted to. Sure. I mean, I was still interested in talking to bands, even even I didn't doesn't mean that I would like totally have to be a fan of them, at least back mm-hmm. then. You know? uh, so. Vitalica was one of the interviews that I did on the phone with, uh, with James, you know, the singer. Um, and I guess we kept in touch since then. And what happened was I think later in 2010, they toured the West coast, uh, which was a very rare tour for them because they're from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So right. they, they played regionally and then they play in Europe, but they don't really, <laughs> they don't really come to the West coast as much. So that was a sure. rare thing. And, um, I did another interview with him in person at one of the shows on the West Coast. And I went to a couple, me and a friend of mine, we went to a couple of those in Pomona and then in West, at the Key Club in West Hollywood. Um, so I've known them for a long time. And I guess we just followed each other on the social media and stuff like that. And then James, like out of the blue, kind of hits me up like last um, September or October. And he wanted, he was interested in like in, in, getting the band signed to a label. And I was like, yes, let's, let's do it. You know, I'm like, that's all it took for me. Like that's literally the amount of time it took for me to say yes, you know, Um, because they, they haven't had an album out in since 2013. Mm -hmm. And right now, like we're basically kind of putting, uh, putting together a plan to release this next one, which uh, by all um, indications should be out before the end of this year. And it's going to be huge. I mean, I'm still already very stoked about that to be the band, to be the label to release that. And that Mm -hmm. signing news got a lot of, um, it spread around quite a lot, which I was like kind of surprised because those websites don't cover anything else that I've ever released. You know, they, they only cover like the real big stuff. So 
yeah, it made the rounds. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, um, let's see, let's see what this brings, but definitely, definitely excited for that one. And the King Gizzard is a slightly different story. Uh, they're not signed to the label per se, mm-hmm. but what happened with that is so last like end of 2020, they made an announcement saying that they have some release, some albums that are done and that included a lot of like live albums that they recorded on tour, like just their sound crew recorded them audio, audio only. So right. they opened those albums up to bootleggers all around the world. So basically <laughs> those will be official bootlegs. So like anyone could make copies of, of any of those albums on any formats and all, all the band asked is some copies to be sent their way so they could sell it on their website. So that's how I picked up that uh, live album, Live in London, which I specifically picked that up because that album they put out in 2019, Infest the Rat's Nest, that's like the the heavy metal, speed metal album that they did. You know? <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, it's like kind of very like early, early Metallica style. It's like the heavy metal album because mm-hmm. they're the kind of band who could just do a different album every time, you know, it's kind of like, right. like the, they're like the Prince of, of like hard rock or whatever, I guess. Um, <laughs> or the David Bowie or, you know, those, one of those guys who, right. who would just be very eclectic. So they did this heavy metal album, which I really enjoyed. And it made like my top, top five of the year. And, and I actually saw them at the Greek theater in, in LA um, that year in 2019 so it was on the same tour that they that they recorded this London concert. It was oh, okay. actually just a couple of weeks after the Greek uh, show in LA. So it was pretty much almost the same set list too. Um, so that's what attracted me to that particular album. And yeah, I mean, I'm going to put out like a limited edition cassette for that, which is right now. And it comes with a digital download as well, of course. Mm-hmm. So right now that's on a pre-order and it'll come out sometime in July. Um, yeah. So, but, but just as a fan, I wanted to do that. You know, it's, it's not like a signing on the label, but it, it is officially like released by the label that I got permission from the band to do. So it's, it's all official, officially licensed. So, yeah, you know. Gotcha. And you recently, the, the album that I posted on my site was from Sea of Snakes. Yeah. Um, how did you wind up, uh, putting their album out? Yeah. So that's, um, so Jim, who's, the um, the main member of that band, uh, the guitar player, he had a different band, um, called Motorcycle, which approached me last year. Yeah. Last 2020. Yeah. Because I was putting together volume three of my mixtape which i've done three of those so the metal assault mixtape is basically like um where i pick like one song from from each band in the sort of heavy underground scene and put that out on my label i've done so the third one was supposed to have one of their songs one of the motorcycle songs but Mm -hmm. in the end i had to cut it for time constraints because it couldn't fit on the cassette really (laughs) So I felt super bad about that, but I was like, you know, let's keep in touch and uh, hopefully we can work together again or I'll put you on the next uh, tape. But then he hit me up like early this year saying that they have a new band with with Jeff 
who is the drummer and he, I knew him because he plays in the Shrine, which is a very cool right. band from out here in Venice, California. They're kind of like, I guess, for people who don't know, crossover between sort of punk rock, skater, like skater punk and, and also a little bit of heavy metal, stoner mm-hmm. metal. So I, I love the Shrine. So I knew Jeff and I was like, yeah, you know, I listened to the Sea of Snakes EP, which is the same EP that I just put out. So they mm-hmm. sent me the whole thing. It was ready to go. I was like, yeah, this is this is cool, you know. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I signed them on, and here we are. I'm mean, thanks for spreading the word on that. So that's, I mean, it's still even though they're like established in the sense that they've been in other bands before, it's still a very new band. So it's kind of mm-hmm. um, kind of typical of the kind of kind of bands that that I work with in a way, you know. Um, yeah, but the music is awesome. I love. Love the music and uh, hopefully that will uh, continue to kind of, you know, get get into more ears as we go along, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy up in the UK has a, a question. He writes, uh, I'm interested to know how popular these bands are. Do they sell much in the way of physical product? And are there any countries where these bands are more popular? Yeah, I mean, that's a good, good question. I guess like the word popular could mean a, of different things depending on like what scale you're looking at it uh, from but sure. yeah from from my from my perspective yeah there's obviously like not all the bands on the label have been equally popular in that sense some have been more than others mm-hmm. like old blood for example which is a band that we uh somebody else talked about or i think mm-hmm. it was it was him that talked it about was him that. yeah mm-hmm. so they um so this the the album that I released on my label uh, called Acid Doom is their second album. Um, yeah, I mean their their album has done super well. Uh, I did vinyl, I did CDs, uh, and the digital downloads have also sold quite a lot. Um, so um, and for them, I've actually received a lot of orders from Europe, um, which I've shipped okay. from here. And people are, <laughs> I guess, the currency conversion must be must be. Okay. I mean, I, I know it is uh, because that makes a difference. I'm sure like where compared to like, if somebody is paying 50 us dollars mm-hmm. uh, versus like converting that into Euro or whatever, or pounds. So yeah, I mean, people from there have ordered a lot of the product from me directly and I've shipped it out quite a lot, you know, like by now I'm completely an expert in, in international shipping <laughs> at the post office. It's like, nobody knows it better than me. Uh, so yeah, I get orders from all over the place. I mean, in Old Blood's case, I've even had orders from like Japan um, yeah. and stuff like that. And there was this this one guy from China who ordered it, which I don't even know how because Bandcamp is not even allowed in China. Like right. they must use some proxy server or something like that. <laughs> like right. if you're going through that much effort to order an Old Blood vinyl, then that's that's awesome. Like I love that, you know. Um, yeah, uh, so. I mean, I guess they they will be one of the more popular ones that have kind of at least in this time period, from from where their album came out to now. Um, yeah, and there's others that have also done well. Um, um, sea Sleeper is a death metal band from Portland that I signed um, recently, and their debut came out in February, which is only on CD, but it's done so well that we're launching vinyl next month for them. So okay, you know. So I try to play it by ear in that sense, too. I mean, I'm not like trying to uh, put too much like burden onto any one any one release before seeing how it's doing, that type of thing. Sure. So, so, yeah, like eventually 
or ideally the goal is to just release everything on all formats, you know, cassette, CD, vinyl, and digital. But it just depends on if that's how feasible that is. So I try sure. to keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, like the physical, to answer, to getting back to the question, the physical product is key. I mean, without that, I don't really release anything. Like I'm not ever going to do like a, a digital only because there's definitely like very little money in that. I mean, because mm. everybody has the Spotify and Apple Music and all this stuff, which they're already paying to subscribe to those services. So then they don't really want to pay for any other, anything else. So they just want the music for free. And that's sure. cool. I mean, I do distribute all my music on those platforms too, because mm-hmm. I think that's just like good discovery platforms, you know, but yeah, yeah. that's, that cannot be relied upon for like a full release. So unless there's physical product, I don't release anything. And that's kind of like my main thing as a label is to provide that physical product to the bands and to kind of, to finance that aspect and, and to, market and distribute that you know um so yeah like the physical product is important and yeah like to be more specific in terms of countries i i've gotten a whole lot of orders from switzerland i don't know why but it's awesome like i'm like cool you know a lot of lot from the uk as well some Mm -hmm. from spain um yeah europe in general has been has been great like not just old blood but uh, even a lot of the other bands too like uh, people from there have put in orders you know and you know that's like such a good feeling for me because in the end like this is all just kind of my business is running on people's expendable income really so mm-hmm. you know it's uh it's it's very much appreciated because there's no need for people to ever to to spend any money on any of this but they do right. so yeah right they yeah. want to yeah yeah how much has the um bandcamp friday help you out oh that's been a lifesaver honestly because before they were doing these bandcamp fridays i didn't really even have anything up on bandcamp to be honest i had it everything on the metal assault web store itself but I'm glad the Bandcamp Friday thing happened because then I completely shifted everything to Bandcamp. And what I've done is, so every Bandcamp Friday, which is the first Friday of the month, like I've like really utilized that to launch like new products and new pre-orders because that first day is, is always like key because that's when a lot of orders come in right away. You know, like people who are, being, right. who are the biggest fans of the band that have been waiting for the product to launch. And in, in most cases, they're limited edition products, so then people don't want to miss out. So I market it accordingly, too. Like, you know, don't miss out and be ready for the pre-order launch. Um, so over here, it launches at midnight. So for me, the Bandcamp Friday is usually like an all-nighter. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm up all night, man, like on the Bandcamp Friday, seeing all those orders coming in. You know, it's it's good. Like, cool. as long as orders come in, like, I stay awake, you know, like... <laughs> It's wow, that's like, awesome. No better, no better feeling. But I think there's only one more Bandcamp Friday coming up in May, May 7th. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, the Sea Sleeper vinyl launching. I have a new new pre-order launching for one of my newer signings and a couple of other stuff that's releasing. So yeah, like that's another really big one. And I think for me, the Bandcamp Fridays have just gotten bigger and bigger as I've gone along because I've figured out that probably the best formula for me as a label is to make sure that I have 
like a few different products as opposed to relying on any one, you know, because if right. in case if it doesn't do well, then I'm screwed because then <laughs> I still need to pay for that product and I haven't yeah. like, you know, made the money back or, uh, but this way, like everything kind of finances each other in a way, you know, like yeah. all the, all the products like pay for each other. So it's, it's way better, you know? Yeah. That uh, makes sense. Yeah. But the band camp has come, come, come through as a, as a big game changer and a big lifesaver in that sense, because um, they've done it essentially to help out the, the industry in the pandemic era, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's probably why they're like not going to continue doing it after May because man, they must, they lose out a lot, a lot of money to on, on the bank camp Friday because right. essentially they're waiving their entire income for that one day, you know, like their income comes from the 10%, uh, well, for merch, it's ten percent. For digital, it's fifteen percent. Is their cut mm-hmm. usually? So they're waiving that completely on the Bandcamp Friday for twenty-four hours, which means they don't make anything. So, you know, but I think it's been smart even on their part because obviously a lot of that product still stays up after the Bandcamp Friday. Right. I mean, yeah. nobody's deleting the product, you know, um, unless it sells out completely. So. Yeah, I'm sure they've made they've made good money, but I guess they don't really need to keep doing those after May, you know. At least as far as um they've that's the news as of right now. Who knows mm-hmm. what's happened what happens after, yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see because I mean, obviously that's a, a great promotional tool because that's been able to drive a lot of traffic their way. And who knows moving forward, you know, maybe maybe the, similar to how they do record store day. Yeah. Um, maybe there'll be a band camp day every so many, you know, months a year, maybe once a year, and maybe they'll work with artists or labels so that there's things that are just exclusive to that day. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of ways that, that this can be played out. I, I talk on my other podcast a lot about how streaming has really affected you know, the way that people watch TV and how we're really in the infancy stage to see how all that's going to transition. Yeah. I think Bandcamp has done a lot with this to really give people an alternative to, you know, the Spotify's and the Apple musics and, and things like that, where, you know, Hey, I, wow, I can stream this. Uh, I can stream it to my phone. I can stream it on, you know, on my computer and I can buy, you know, they, they'll send me the cassette or they'll send me the vinyl as well. So there's yeah. a lot of cool things that have been tied into, into it. And like a lot of, as you've mentioned, limited edition, like vinyls where there's definitely been a lot of things where I've been like, shit, I would have bought that, but you know, it sold out already. It was only yeah. a run of like a hundred vinyls and, and it's gone. So uh, I think that it, it, it's definitely drawn a lot of attention to what they do and hopefully it helps, you know, them further their brand. Yeah. I mean, uh, I did create a different, a separate web store on the new, the label website, which is um, like separate from Bandcamp. And Mm -hmm. that web store is through Shopify and it's like tied into the Facebook and Instagram shops. And it has like, that all that integration, which I guess Bandcamp doesn't provide because Bandcamp right. is kind of more like its own self-sustained entity. Mm-hmm. But I still do the Bandcamp, of course, and I'm going to continue using it because at least for the pre-order campaigns, their mechanism is, is great. It's like really perfect. And I don't think any other site has it as good as that, where mm-hmm. 
you know, like um, if you're releasing an album on a pre-order, then if you're kind of, if you're releasing one song from it as a preview, then if somebody pre-orders that album, then they get that one song instantly for free. Uh, so I think that's a good system and you kind of keep releasing more songs as, as you go along and, and then on the release date, they get the whole album. So right. yeah, it's great. You know, uh, I love that, that whole system and I'll continue to definitely run the pre-orders on Bandcamp and even, even after, I mean, I'm still going to keep, keep my product up there because it's like a huge market really. So I think for the longest time, like that whole 10, 10% or 15%, was holding me back from putting stuff on there. But mm-hmm. I, I quickly realized that it's definitely worth that, you know, like right. because more you generating more sales. So mm-hmm. the more sales you make that that's what make, gives you more profit, you know, like yeah. then, if, unless or, or um, otherwise you're just worrying about like the profit margin per unit. That's I think uh, it's better to sell more product instead of worrying about that, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, last question here. Um, this is maybe a risque question, but, uh, when was the last time you were at the rainbow? Um, 2016. Some, I mean, I didn't really ever go to the, go there anyway. And actually whatever happened like between us back then where I was, Banned. I was banned from there. I was banned from the whiskey, but um, and then it kind of didn't really affect my life at all uh, because um, yeah, like I hardly ever went to the Rainbow anyway because that's kind of not wasn't really my thing to hang out because sure I would rather be at a show. You know, mm-hmm. the Rainbow was not really known for that. Yeah, the whiskey shows I did miss, but I mean, as you said before, a lot of those bands come back and play other venues. Right. Or if they don't, then in most cases, I've already seen them. So I'm not like crying my eyes out that I can't see them at the whiskey. <laughs> but then what happened in 2019 was that I was going out on tour with the Warbringer. And actually, mm-hmm. that was the one tour that I did do um, after my touring phase that kind of ended. Because okay. Warbringer was a band that I toured with before in 2016. And they asked me... and like the the money was pretty good and they were going to be in a proper tour bus. So I, I'm like, yeah, I can I cannot turn this down. I'm going to make way more money on this two months run than I'm going to do from booking two months worth of shows. So, right. so I went on that and the, guess what? The first show was at the whiskey because they always played at the whiskey. Right. So I, I emailed the owners and everybody. I'm like, Hey, look, I'm like, gonna be running the merch for them i'll be i'm the i'm the official tour manager for both bands mm-hmm. which is warbringer and enforcer from sweden so it was right. kind of like a, i was like an important part of that that group like you know it wasn't like oh you can just like stand outside for this for the show and right. that's it so i'm like you know is it okay with you guys if i can work this show i mean that's all i need to do i'm not really there as a customer per se you know so they said okay i'm like all right cool then <laughs> So that was that. And then everybody kept asking me afterwards, like, hey, man, like, what was it like at the whiskey going back there? I'm like, nothing. I was just busy, man. Like, my merch table was just so busy the whole time. I didn't even need to know where I was, really. I was just doing my Mm -hmm. job. So even the tour, the manager for Warbringer was like, oh, is is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, everything is fine. (laughs) So (laughs) I guess guess we're okay. I mean, there's no issues now. But although... 
I haven't I haven't gone back to the to the rainbow and I don't really think I need to unless I unless it's something like that where I need to be there for work. Sure. Then I'll make sure to ask them before I go, you know, because mm-hmm. better do it that way than like try to get turned away when you're yeah. actually there. So, yeah, to answer your question. Yeah. Last time I we went to the rainbow was 2016, but all those issues have been sorted out. Um, so oh. there's no there's no problems. At least with the whiskey, there's no problems. I don't know about the rainbow particularly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I, I felt like and I knew about all that, obviously, since you asked me. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know. I just knew what it initially happened, but right. I didn't know that you were able to uh, um, to go back. But yeah, uh, yeah. cool. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, before wrapping things up, I want people to know where they need to go to keep up with Metal Assault with your label and anything else that you have going on. Yeah, metalassault.bandcamp.com. So that's the Bandcamp site. Then there's metalassaultrecords.com, which is the label website plus the label web store. It also has the label like news blog on there. Um, and then Metal Assault LA on Facebook and Twitter and metal, at Metal Assault on Instagram. And Metal Assault LA also on YouTube. So, and and then of course the original metalassault.com, which is for non-label stuff. That's still, it's still there. Although I'm, I think I'm gonna like work on seriously linking back or restoring the the archive onto the, mm-hmm. onto that website from the older articles, which are currently like not accessible directly from there. Oh, okay. uh, that'll happen soon enough um, because I've been doing more and more of those throwback Thursday posts from, mm-hmm. from back, back then. I'm like, you know, people ask me, oh, where can I read this interview? I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me look for it. You know, like, so, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that'll happen. But, but yeah, the website is there, though, regardless. So Awesome. So yeah. um, I want to thank you for coming on. As, as usual, it, it's always great to talk to you. Same here. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me, man. It's been good. It's good to like do this via video for a change and uh, good yeah. to catch up, you know, on all kinds of things. Awesome. I, ho- yeah. I hope to talk to you again like this uh, in the not too distant future. Let's not make yeah. it four years like, uh, like it has been. So yeah, anytime, man. All right. Awesome. I thank you, sir. And we'll yeah. be in touch. Thank you. Cheers. All right. Awesome. All right, guys. So that was my interview with Andrew from Metal Assault. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. You know, again, I'm a big proponent of people that want to push new music, to push, you know, new bands, old bands that are putting stuff out. You know, as I said a few times during this um, this episode, um, it's important to support good music. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, anyone that just turns their back and says, there's no, nothing good has come out after 89. I think they're missing out. It's just such a shame. Jeremy always asked me on Fridays, actually Thursday nights. I always look for Jeremy's message through Patreon. Uh, what, what track do you want to be, uh, track of the day for Friday? And again, you know, he, he was featuring tracks by the Scorpions. And I was like, man, the humanity album is an album that I absolutely love came out 10 years ago. Um, to me, they haven't put anything out as good since. 
and it's heavier than usual. And I just wanted, you know, there's just stuff off of that that I absolutely love. So I was like, this one, you know, uh, three, two, one off of that. I love that song. I have it on my phone. That's my, uh, my timer on my phone. Whenever my timer goes off, it's, uh, it's that it's three, two, one by the, the scorpions. So, um, uh, funny enough story. <laughs> I forget who I told this story to recently, but, uh, my wife and I were coming back from, from the States and we're in Charles de Gaulle airport. And we're waiting to get our connecting flight back to back to Spain. I'm sitting there looking up the escalator, you know, just waiting, just making time, basically. And I'm like, who's this? Who's this guy in this like setup, like thinking he's a he's a rock star? Come on. Who's this guy? And I see him come down like, man, he thinks he's Rudolf Shanker. And then all of a sudden, like, hey, wait, that's Matthias. Hey, wait, that's. That's Klaus. Hey, no. Who does he think he is? He thinks he's a member of the damn Scorpions is who he thinks he is. So it was actually really funny. And I tell my wife, I'm like, holy shit, that's that's the Scorpions. And she's like, she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I know who, who they are. So she gives him like the devil horns. And uh, James Kotak was in the band at the time. And he turns around and he goes, rock and roll. And he flashes the devil horns back. It was funny. They, they were playing um, a festival in Spain. So they were, there was like a last call for that flight. And I guess I don't remember if they used like a fictitious name or not, or maybe the manager's name. And it said last call to flight to, uh, uh, Zaragoza, Spain, Zaragoza. Um, and they hopped on, they were playing, uh, I forget the name of the old festival that was there, but, um, cool. Yeah. Scorpions at the airport. There you go. Um, my cousin Jose and his father actually met Sting at the airport, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and I apologize. I think I mentioned that, uh, I I think, uh, Jose, if that's you on YouTube, I apologize. I thought you were somebody else before. I'm, I'm used to seeing you on Twitch and I forget your handle on YouTube. But, uh, anyway, uh, guys, it's been fun as usual. I want to give a shout out to everyone that was here in the chat. All the diehards, Jeremy, um, Rob, who's been joining us the last few weeks. And again, I believe that's Jose. I just want to give a shout out to my patrons, uh, Mark Striegel, Gabriel Ruiz, um, Steve Hoker, and Mike Jones, uh, outside of the great Jeremy Weltman. So thanks for all your support, guys. I appreciate it. And... Um, uh, I have a newsletter. If you guys aren't signed up for it, you can sign up for it right on marsattacksradio.com. And it basically runs back, you know, all the podcast episodes that I've released the week before, whether it's um, Mars Attacks, Galaxy of Geeks, the Patreon exclusive. Oh, yeah. And Brad. How could I forget? How, how could I forget Brad Dahl? See, that's what happens. I should write things down. Um, okay. I apologize. I thought you were somebody else before Jose. Jose, Jose, everyone, Jose. I'm try- I'm doing my best, uh, Rick James there. Charlie Murphy, everyone. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they they just they just uh, added Chappelle 
to uh, Netflix over here in Spain. So my wife is getting to see skits that I've been talking about for years and weren't properly um, translated with, with the ghetto subtitles I was downloading off of the net. Uh, the only thing is, for some reason, the episode with the prince, with the true Hollywood story, the whole basketball segment is not translated. It's just a dot on the screen. I have to write Netflix and find out what's going on there. So uh, anyway, back to the newsletter. The newsletter basically recaps what I've done on Mars Attacks, what I've done on Galaxy of Geeks, what I've done on Patreon. It talks about what we're doing on Patreon, the questions that I've been throwing out there, and it talks about the Patreon playlist, and it talks about the bands that we've added. Uh, If you want to check that playlist out, it's up there on MarsAttacksRadio.com forward slash playlists, plural, and you can either play it right there, or you could find the Spotify or Apple music uh, links to each particular playlist. So if you're a subscriber of either, or you can load it um, on your end. And as songs are updated as the patrons are picking songs uh, out of the videos that I'm posting, those are going up in that, in that playlist. So uh, we're going to have a, a cool playlist for, um, <laughs> what did the five fingers say to the face is what you're looking for. Um, so as the, um, as, as the playlist is updated, it will, um, no, it's what are the five fingers say to this, the face. So that is, is the, uh, is the thing. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Larry Davidish people. I, I, I see things and I get, anally retentive and I have to respond to them. Um, but anyway, um, the playlist is based on all the videos that I'm posting at the end of the year. We're going to have one big, huge playlist because it's already like three hours long. If I'm not mistaken, you'll get an update week to week on the newsletter. And you'll also get an update on what our album of the week is on Patreon this week. It was Code Orange's release from 2020, 2020 um, called Underneath. Um, it's actually really cool. It's like a, a blue marble type um, vinyl. And I had to end up, end up holding it to the light. So I ended up giving everyone like a view of my quote unquote projector room. And um, the projector room is where I have... It's my home cinema and um, my vinyl albums and CDs and cassettes and and whatnot. Um, And keep that in mind, because for those of you that are subscribed to Patreon and get to check out the album of the week, next week's album of the week is going to be really outside of the box because what I'm going to show you initially, um, I felt kind of wasn't good enough. It's cool, but I decided to throw some extra stuff in there, which is totally different to what I've done before with the uh, album of the week. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and yeah, if you guys do, I mean, it's it'll help prolong this segment because uh, I'll be able to show you guys more things that aren't just vinyl. So, aha. Um. What else? We have links to merch in there and we have links to what I do on the Mark Striegel uh, 
on his Patreon as well on the Mark Striegel show and his recap show, which comes out uh, twice a month. There will be a new episode of that coming out in five days, which means I need to catch up on his podcast. And at the end of the month, the last day of the month, he releases or we release a joint episode where I host and he's answering questions based on uh, things that uh, kind of stick out to me out of his interviews. So um, that is that uh, again, want to thank you guys for hanging out with me on this lovely Friday night. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Um, we are back on the charts in Estonia folks. We are number 41 with a bullet in Estonia. And there are episodes that are, that have charted at 78 and 120. So man, we're, we're taking over. <laughs> On a side note, uh, I noticed that I've been getting a lot of um, junk mail from Estonia. Um, so I don't know if there's a correlation uh, between the two, but uh, I, I saw that today. I, I was getting these different uh, junk emails for for investing money in like Bitcoin and all this stuff. And, and the addresses were all showing Estonia. So I don't know. I'd, I would want to think like Brad has said, that we've got, you know, a stranglehold on the Estonian uh, market, but you'd be surprised. The charts actually have a lot of um, English-speaking podcasts, so cool nonetheless. In any event, thank you guys for watching this episode live. Uh, remember, if you missed out, it's every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, uh, 11 p.m. in the UK, 12 midnight. Friday going into Saturday, Central European time. And um, we will be back next week. I don't have a guest yet, but I am interviewing Lucas from Void Vader on Tuesday. So we will have um, quite a few different episodes coming up. Uh, I'm uh, Again, I'm trying to push for releasing two podcasts a week. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, we've also got um, Chris Aiken and Matt from the Classic Metal Show Network coming up on the 30th and I'm trying to secure other people in between um, again just want to have some cool conversations with people and get some cool banter with you guys and um, just take it from there so that is that Thanks again for watching. Thanks for those that are listening to the replay on the audio podcast version or that are going to YouTube and checking this out after. Uh, support Metal Assault. Support the bands that you love. Support the podcast that you love. Support uh, the Rock and Roll podcast. Support Yard Metal. Uh, Ghost Cult, which we had on last week as well. Um, support anyone that's... Uh, that's been on the show, basically. So that's that. Thanks again. And we will see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 